I'm Natalie Pearson from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre, and I'm very privileged to be joined by uh, Bridget. And Bridget, I'm going to ask you uh, to introduce yourself and tell us where you're from and what your research focuses on. Uh, great to be here, Natalie, and thanks very much for having me. I'm an associate professor of political science at John Cabot University in Rome, but also I have other affiliations as a, as a senior research fellow at National Taiwan University, as a university fellow in Australia's Charles Darwin University, and of course as a senior associate at the Habibi Center in Indonesia. I'm a specialist on Malaysian politics, uh, where I grew up from the 1980s. I, I will leave it as a mystery how long I've been there and why, but, um, and of course I'm here mostly to talk about Malaysia. Excellent. Well, um, I understand that in the past week you've done 150 media interviews and we might characterise what has happened in Malaysia as the story of the year. Uh, so would you care to make some comments about the Malaysian election and uh, possible ramifications of the results? I think that we've seen global trends, uh, three very important global trends that Malaysian election bucks. The first of which is that there's been rising authoritarianism across the world. We've seen the rise of authoritarian governments um, in places like Cambodia, um, expansion of authoritarianism before in Malaysia, before 2013. Uh, we look at this in Hungary, in Europe, um, and of mm. course across the world. And Malaysia is a story that bucks that. Um, at the same juncture, we've also seen the rise of what we call identity politics across the world, uh, be it anti-immigration sentiments, um, be it uh, racism, uh, religious sentiment, and all of these have been negative forces. And, mm. and I think the nationalist fervor in Malaysia actually is a positive force. It's a positive force of moving the country forward in a, in a direction. And <clears throat> the third trend has been, you know, the kind of the deepening of, of, of governance problems, uh, a kind of, uh, be it in the area of corruption and, and the area of lack of transparency, one of the things we see with the rise of China is that we see the adoption of bad practices in parts of Southeast Asia. And here, ordinary Malaysians said, no more. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, <coughs> and these, these ethical issues are not just uh, from China, they also see this in the United States with the Trump administration. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, there has been a sense of a lack of hope and a lack of sense that where is the world going to with these types of trajectories from global powers and great powers to, to the dynamics that are happening within, within regions, be it Europe, be it Asia. And as a consequence, Malaysia says, no. <laughs> um, and it's not just that it's you know, a 92-year-old man coming back to lead the country. It's because we're, we're, it's bucking those, those global trends. And that's what makes it so in incredible, really. Yeah. It does. So how did they do it? How did Pakatan Harapan and Mahati do it? Well, I think, you know, there's two different ways you can understand the story. And the one way to understand the story is about the personalities involved. Mm. And, of course, the people that people focus on are, of course, two, uh, Najib Tun Razak and Mahathir Mohamed. And, of course, there's a third man, which is Anwar Ibrahim. Mm. And, and this particular personal story narrative, you know, basically talks about the failures of the Najib, the excesses, the 1MDB scandal uh, with his wife, uh, the kind of the use, the selling out of the country for his personal power, uh, be it not just the country, his political party and others. Mm. And the man who, who came to save the day, and uh, Mahathir Mohammed, who mm. basically was a safe landing uh, for many people pushed away from Najib, uh, Mahathir was able to pull them. And we can see in the votes that a large number of people who moved over in a very difficult political terrain in terms of the that electoral system that is skewed towards the government at that time, towards the BN, 
uh, the people who moved were people inside the system. Many of the people who were the grassroots of the party that Najib was, 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 mm. was governing, and that Mahathir previously governed. Mm. So it was a safe landing in that process, and Mahathir well, uh, is very uh, master strategist to help, help this happen. But behind the scenes, of course, was the importance of Hamza Ibrahim setting a reform agenda, mm. uh, coming up from the Reformasi movement of the 1990s, 99. And, and I think it's for people don't understand that almost every election since 1999, even the ones that the governments have won well, have all won by those who have been, been able to co-opt the reform agenda, mm. of which Mahathir did, right. and of which Anwar has seemed to represent. He is now released and pardoned and, and in alliance with Mahathir mm. in a very kind of uh, you know strange bedfellow story. But yes. this is a personal. This is the personal story that makes that is fascinating for people to watch. Uh, mm. But I think there's another um, underlying driver in the society that I think uh, are equally important and probably being underestimated. Uh, and that is, uh, I think, first, it's the importance of this being a national, again, national election. And that is people came together to save their country. Mm. Um, and be it f at, at a personal levels of the moral compass of the country to more concerns about the direction in terms of the corruption scandals. Uh, you know, and this is from every walks of life. When we see the re election results, we see that. And equally important is that the government policy of introducing the goods and service tax uh, had a very uh, uh, impactful uh, uh, role in this election in that, uh, you know, <coughs> it's a country of 13.9 million people. Before the goods and service tax, and even now, only 2.1 million, million people pay taxes. With the goods and service tax, wow. now you have a situation where That's people who are being paid are paying taxes. and, and and for those of us who study Malaysian history, you know, there is such a thing as a tax revolt mm -hmm. in 1895, in 1915, in 1929. But if we look at these critical moments in Malaysian history, and Malay history in particular, they are res rebellions against taxes. And we saw this even in the 1940s, and even parts of these issues were embedded in some of the conflicts of the 1960s. Mm. And so I see this very much as a tax revolt, mm. um, where for ordinary people, the GST represented economic hardship, and this was something they, and that had an impact, because previously the government used vote buying as a way to, to galvanize support. But now people took those, the, the buying of votes was like, oh, you're giving my money back. I get to vote who I want to. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> so we see those two forces. And the final thing I point to is, of course, the decay, the forces that were happening within the party itself. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the structural dynamics uh, of where how Najib was governing um, in terms of his financing, his weakening of institutions, there was popular forces against these drives uh, at multiple levels. Uh, you know, we can see this when we look at the votes in the military and the police. Uh, it was very clear that the that the change had come mm. e even within the system, um, and that w partly you can see that connected the personal narrative, but it also has to do with the shifts that were happening in the in the institutions themselves. And so, these are the two ways you can look at it. Mm. Um, and I think, uh, um, <coughs> you know. Some people would also talk about the institutional transformation of the opposition. Here I'm a little bit more uh, cautious in this. And, I, and I'm very cautious of saying this was all about people coming together in racial harmony because I think, that, okay. I think that's, that belies some of the realities on the ground. So one of my questions was, Pakatan Harapan has operated without a strong leader prior to Mahathir and is, is considered to be a more disparate coalition than Barisan Nasional. So in opposition, in opposition, it was regularly beset by public spats and sensitivities. Can we expect it to operate in the same way now that it's in government? 
Well, I would say first of all, its governor, its leader, was in jail, uh, where Abraham has been jailed for was jailed for three over three years, mm. um, and you know it's difficult when you don't have someone who can bridge the diversity of Pakistan Pakistan Harapan and previously Pakistan Rakhine, which is, which it broke apart from mm-hmm. in, uh, after the elections in 2015. Yeah, but I would say that um, <coughs> first of all, one has to. Mo- it is going to be a difficult transition from being opposition to government. Mm. While I think some people uh, have familiar with this in the states of uh, Penang and Selangor, I think the majority of people in Pakistan Harapan are not familiar with that. Mm. And so this is a transition that I think uh, of basically moving to learn to keep your conflicts inside the camp. Right, I see. Um, and there are individuals who I think have, we've already seen who act childishly, um, and and and, and uh, um, we see that, for example, with Rafiz Adamli's demands on this and that. And I think the public reaction that was re- that he received for that uh, indicated that that the public was not willing to accept this could type you tell of politics. Us, could you just give us a little bit more detail? Yeah, what that? he what he did is he was basically criticizing the appointment of the three different cabinet positions by Mahathir Mohammed, particularly the finance ministry, and saying that his party was not consulted. And of course, that's since been repudiated by members of uh, of, of, of Qadlan. But at the same juncture, it just it's very typical of of, uh, of him of using the media as a way to kind of mm-hmm. air differences. And and he he did this very typically of in the way that he from the opposition. So I think that um, this you know he he is part of the multiple factions, one of the many factions within PKR that exist. And so I think there. The second aspect of this answering your question is that we have to look at the differences that exist within the opposition. Uh, first, there are personality differences um, in all, all the parties, but most obvious within Qadlan, mm. where this played out with the purges that happened in terms of who were candidates were slated before the election. Um, and a lot of this is, it's not about policy differences, it's about, it's about personalities and others. And I think this goes all the way to the top, mm-hmm. that people speculate about uh, Mahathir and Anwar Ashraf and their relationship. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, so I think that, um, you know, you can't, aff- you can't, you know, you can't ignore the personal in politics and mm. the history that comes with that personal, politi- uh, personal nature of politics. The second aspects, I think, are actually equally important. And I think there are three different cleavages in terms of ideas um, that I think are, are going to be difficult to navigate. One is the scope of political reform. Yes. Right. How, many, how much people are willing to introduce uh, reforms uh, inside the system and, and less. And I think we see big variations. Um, m- more, I think, Mahathir seen as representing a more conservative element of that. Uh, with more NGOs and activists within Pakistan who would actually want a much more sweeping type of process. Sure. So far, in the first week, we've had the move towards the sweeping as opposed to the conservative. Okay. But let's 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 see. We will see resistance in, in that area. I think the second um, issue that I think is also quite uh, challenging to navigate is the nature is is on the b- issue of economic policy. Okay. Uh, most of Pakistan's popular um, mo- initiatives have been highly populist in nature. This doesn't go down well within the business community, and the economic reforms that the country needs are going to have to involve um, some very fundamental shifts and mm. and, uh, and cutbacks and spending and reconfiguring of priorities and 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 really some tightening the belts given the debt that Najib has left for the country. Yeah. Um, and we have now s- senior um, people brought in who have I think different orientation. 
And so I think it's going to be in kind of an, a big debates on the economic and social policies that are necessary to move the country forward. And also doing that in an inclusive way. So that's going to be the real challenge, isn't it? Do you think that's going to have potential impacts in terms of how long this government can survive for? Or No, I think this is something that is going to be, uh, I think in some ways it's almost more difficult challenge in the political reforms. Because the political reforms, everybody knows you're either going to do it or you're not going to do yep. it. But the economic policy reforms are going to involve making some strategic choices and difficult choices. Mm. Which brings me to the third and perhaps the most difficult uh, areas, is that there are differences about race and religion within Pakistan. Right. All right. And, and this is going to be and continue to be uh, the cleavage point. And mm -hmm. even in this week uh, after the elections, it's become very uh, evident that the criticisms are going to come along racial lines. You don't have enough Malays. You didn't have a Malay position. Um, and then we're going to see religion come in. You, you've appointed this person on religion. You're not doing enough. You're, def you're, uh, you're, you're not doing an Islamic agenda. You know, this is some, this with PAS, the Islamist party, as a very powerful uh, Muslim and uh, party and also a powerful opposition for party, we can see that type of, uh, these types of reactions. And, yep. and Fakatan Harapan doesn't quite have a good narrative to answer this. Yeah, right. uh, I think that they're using the nationalist narrative, but these things all meld into these other differences on the economy and on the political side. Right. Um, it's, it's these questions of, of race and religion, and which are highly politicized in the yeah. Malaysia context. And there are differences within Harapan. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, for example, on how do you respond to Sharia law? Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people keep quiet and others say no. Um, I think there's probably less differences there would have been compared to Pakatan Harapan, which had very, they had pass inside the, op or Pakatan Rocket, which had pass inside the opposition. But this doesn't mean <coughs> there's some people who are really adamant, we must defend the Constitution at all costs, and others say we must be more sensitive in how we handle these issues. Yeah. And so, and I expect these things are likely to come to move forward, and um, and they're going to play out. I think uh, yeah. at the national level, but I think they're most likely going to play out at the state level, okay. where we see um, we have a num we have Pakatan Harapan has nine state governments, nine out of thirteen. Gosh, uh, this is uh, um, you know it's it's a huge victory at the state level as well. All right, and I that's think not something that's really coming out in the media coverage, is it? Yeah, well, it's it's huge, uh, and. Um, it has, you know, it has Johor now, Malacca, uh, Negri Sembilan, uh, it has Sabah, mm. um, it has... Um, it's incredible. It has Perak, uh, you know, it has Kedah. Um, these are places that it's never governed before, and some of, some of them have never governed before. You know, the, and in the BN only has two. <laughs> it has Sarawak and Pahang. So that leaves uh, how many? That leaves two. That leaves there's four that they don't have. Right? Okay. Pas has two. Yep. It has Kelantan and Terengganu on the east coast, and uh, BN, as I mentioned, has Sarawak and and um, and uh, and Pahang, and the rest are all governed uh, by Pakatan. Incredible. All right, and there, but as we've seen already in the post-election environment. Um, with this turnover of, of kind of vote buying and others in Sabah, the margins are pretty close in, in at least three of the states, okay. Sabah, Kedah, and Perak. And that's where I think we're going to see vulnerabilities sure. of where some of these issues come out, people move, and others, and uh, of a lot of pressures mm. to try to m move people over and passions that come with that. Um, how will um, Anwar and Mahati work together again. You've talked about this idea of the sort of personal stories and the narratives, and that, that is obviously of great interest uh, to people. How do you see them working, and can Anwar trust Mahati? Well, you know, I, <coughs> I can't speak for Anwar Ibrahim in, in that situation. I, you know, I think he's the best person to answer that question. But what I can 
What I can say is that more generally, uh, in speaking about these kind of bigger problems, um, personality reform and um, uh, economic issues as well as kind of race and religion, all of these are about trust mm. inside <laughs> and patience mm. uh, as you reach to understanding. I think one has to give the opposition credit, um, and including, uh, and I'll come to the Mahathir Anwar story in a moment, and that is all of them have really moved a long way um, in, in trying to put aside their differences um, to work together. And, and I think for many people in the opposition who were victimized by Mahathir, mm. accepting him as leader of their coalition, really involved a deep sort of turmoil and, 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 and reckoning. For sure. Um, and I think that that same s dynamic has, has happened with Mahathir and Anwar himself. I mean, you know, you have to imagine yourself as being jailed by a man for five years, um, your family uh, traumatized, your mm -hmm. life uh, moved, you know, really shocked to the core, and here you are now back joining in this process. It takes a strong person yeah. to, to at any level of life to do that. Um, and I think what Malaysians are identifying with, uh, with both Anwar and is their willingness to sacrifice some of their personal antagonisms sure. for the nation, you know, uh, um, and I think uh, we've seen um, in the last week, you know, three important developments that are worth worth highlighting. Is uh, first of all, I, we've seen uh, Anwar has been released <laughs> yep. uh, and pardoned, and that was a very, I mean, and I have to say. Very quickly, <laughs> yes, um, and uh, with conviction, in <laughs> um, uh, maintaining that, uh, <laughs> I, I think the second thing that has been uh, important is that there has been a response against Najib Razak, mm. um, and uh, in uh, terms of a condemnation of well, no, no, he's you know he's had he's police investigations have started, uh, you know th this is there is the implementation of rule of law. Uh, mm. And I think many people, you know, in Malaysia would think that people can continue to get away with things with impunity. I think this is a new Malaysia, and this was possible in part by Mahathir and to and the and support of Anwar. Um, so I think this is a, a shift. And and the third thing is is that both men have sent the right signals to each other. Mm. Um, you know, Anwar has said, "Look, I'm working with Mahathir." And Mahathir said, "I'm working with Anwar." And so the, uh, you know, while other narratives raise speculation and differences, and I think that's going to be continually speculated on. Sure. I think that that the the messages from both those men have been one of let's focus on the nation. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think you know this is the drive. Uh, if and Malaysians understandably ask, uh, really hoping that their leaders continue to put the nation first over themselves. Um, and both men have done that. I mean, you know, you know, it, it, and that's one of the reasons why th this is such an amazing story is that, you know, on election day, I remember a woman who had a, uh, she was about 82 years old. She was in a wheelchair and she had uh, an oxygen tank and she was going to elections, and I asked her, Auntie, you know, how, how are you feeling today? And she says, if, Ma if Mahathir can do it, I can too. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. You know, um, and, and they both did it. <laughs> yeah, she went to vote. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, that I, and you know, these, these are very, you know, this sense of inspiration, of sacrifice, and, and Anwar has made tremendous sacrifice, eight years in jail, and eight years plus. Absolutely. Uh, I heard him interviewed on the radio this morning and he was talking about the personal toll on his family and it was a very touching um, yeah. interview. And 
Is that is that a new narrative in Malaysian politics uh, in terms of personal sacrifice for the for the for the nation? I think. I think that this is probably um, taken on new heights in the way that this issue of sacrifice. Uh, mm. um, you know, nationalism has been there, uh, but now personal leaders are adopting and, and embracing this type of na- uh, connection between mm. sacrifice and nation. Um, previously, it was more about responsibility and nation, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and this idea of protecting the nation. Now it's about uh, sacrifice for the nation. Right. Um, and I think this is it puts in place foundational um, roots of where you know because in order for these tough decisions to be made, it's not going to it's not going to only involve sacrifice at the leadership level. It's going to involve yes. uh, compromise and sacrifices in our society. I mm-hmm. mean, that's l- these issues are not e- not uh, difficult. You know, and I think that uh, you know a lot of Pakistan supporters are in a kind of a euphoria. Um, but they right. have to be conscious about the need for outreach to the 30% uh, and the 50% of the country that didn't really vote for Pakistan. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. and, you know, they vo- now, UMNO may have only gotten 35, 34.6% of the vote and 35.5% of the seats, uh, but PAS and other parties have done very well um, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is a, uh, it is a real challenge. Yeah, well, PAS uh, achieved about 19% of the vote in Peninsular Malaysia, and it has, I think, 18 seats in Parliament. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So how do you read the still significant conservative Islamic vote in Malaysia? Will the new government deal with this? How, how will the new government deal with this constituency? Well, <coughs> there are two ways to interpret PAS. Uh-huh. First, people will say that it's like its support in 1999, which is that it went back to its core, focused on the East Coast, focused on the Malays, um, using a kind of religious conservative agenda that it was articulating. I mean, it made it very clear uh, that a vote for PAS was a religious duty. Yep. A vote for PAS was a, was a way to go to heaven. These were the campaign messages uh, that were sent. Uh, <coughs> I think that that's uh, in not a, not a complete and comprehensive way to look at PAS in the kind of contemporary situation. We see a few other important trajectories here. First, PAS won a lot of its support by undercutting UMNO. Yeah. Um, uh, it didn't take away Harapan voters. It okay. took away UMNO voters yep. uh, disproportionately. Um, and Harapan didn't do well on the East Coast because people were not familiar with it. And mm. uh, it, it has uh, this is the realities of the nature of politics there. It's always been a PAS-UMNO contest, and PAS basically took down the voters. The second thing that I would say is that Given the amount of support that it's won, especially among Malays, um, it is now arguably the Malay party in the country, mm. much more so than UMNO. Mm. Interesting. And, and, yeah. um, and it is, I think we're, we're seeing it, it um, open up to UMNO people um, calculatingly in, a very, in, in an alliance huh, with UMNO that's going to, you know, perpetuate this racialized and religious dimension of politics. Sure. Mm. Um, and I think this is very pr- 
dis- divisive if they choose to have a confrontational approach, you mm-hmm. know, which its current leadership seems to be articulating. Right. Um, and working with uh, parts of UMNO. I think UMNO is going to be headed for the battle, and it, it lost the battle of its life. My previous book, um, before my recent one, Museum Resilience, my previous book was titled The End of UMNO. And, uh, <laughs> that and was I, my next question. So. And then and the, uh, and the uh, I just spoke with my publisher today, and, and he said that the amount of book orders has, has reached a massive amount, especially from previously government-owned bookstores. Um, oh, that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that which when, I, when was that published? That, that was published in 2016. Okay. Uh, to a very... Um, um, was it 2016? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was a very, uh, very controversial book. I, uh, it was a book that uh, some government companies would not allow them to put on the bookstand. Old mm. uh, my chicks would, um, the older ladies would would basically come and hit the book and throw it off the book stand. I mean, it was very emotional, uh, provo- provocative cover. Uh, it's now um, proven to be very true. Um, what, what was on the cover? Um, it's well, it says it, it was members title. of um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and members of Amno and the Amno Chris. So yeah, it was uh, mm. it was a very um, it was a very provocative title. But I also raised. I think my collab- my co-authors also Bob Kessler, John Funston, um, uh, um, James Chin, um, all of us wrote very I think analytical uh, essays about what was happening to the party in terms of identity and institutional reform and the issues that were happening, uh, and I think uh, we we identified some of the, the, the trajectories that were happening to the party. But mm. I, I foresee a very big battle inside the party between uh, the older guard, uh, the Zahid, the more racialized kind of old politics with the more younger guard going to be uh, articulated by Kyrie Jamaluddin and others to kind of to focus on more governance and less racialized politics. And we're already seeing um, these things happening. It's going to be a, a, a battle inside. Um, and I think it's a battle for the soul of the party. So is it the end of UMNO? What's the answer? Is it's not the end of UMNO, but it's, 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 it's you know, Najib, left, Najib was responsible for the end of the old party. Sure. He made it his party, mm. right? So now uh, this, this juncture of going into the opposition allows UMNO to, to redefine itself, yeah. to find its roots. Um, and and uh, I think it's not going to be easy in that process for mm. them to do that. Um, my own view remains that Malaysia must have a strong opposition. Uh, and I believe even with PAS and, yeah. uh, and UMNO, and there are constructive forces within that, my concern is whether or not the more uh, destructive forces went out within the battles inside those parties. I mean, I also expect that PAS will have a reckoning as well mm. about the use of money, its alliances with UMNO, and, uh, and you know whether or not it was political power was over the principles. And I think this will come uh, likely, maybe not immediately, but I think there are people in PAS who recognize that all the money that they appear to have received from UMNO um, was really uh, didn't necessarily represent um, the, the politics of the past right. for that party. And I think UMNO itself has now to choose between kind of the politics of the old and the kind of the, uh, the strategies of this. And the critical, crucial element inside involves some cleaning up. I mean, uh, everyone joined UMNO for one thing, and that was money yeah. uh, in the contemporary era and power. Um, I mean, not, every, not 100% of that. That's a little unfair. But I think that majority, the perceptions were that this was the driver. Um, and, you know, you don't... When you're in opposition, you don't have those things, mm. so it's gonna it's gonna automatically so mean this the is differences. It's going to be a fight for survival. 
for Amno for them to have to reinvent themselves. Yes, mm. I mean it's it's not so much. So I wouldn't use the word survival because they are gonna they have enough positions of power that they're gonna survive. But it's it's a it's a fight for their trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, are they gonna stay as an opposition party for a long time, mm. or are they gonna grow as a potential? Um, you know, they lost the mantle of protecting the nation mm-hmm. because they protected Najib instead mm. of the instead of the nation. Yeah. Uh, and now they have the choice of being able to to see how they, <coughs> if they wanted to 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 actually stand up and and go back to the historical roots of the of the forty the spirit of forty six, so where they were the party that helped the, the country move forward. Mm. But <coughs> in this context, I think, you know. Um, the Barça Nacional, I believe, is completely different. Okay. All right. right. So the uh, the uh, multi-ethnic coalition uh, that that Tun Razak formed, uh, his son destroyed, um, and mm. you know the smaller component parties, the mm. MCA, the MIC, they are likely to be. Um, uh, you know, I think MCA is probably going to close shop. Um, yeah, with one seat, uh, it's all about the assets now and how they move and reconfigure into NGOs. Mm. MIC faces the similar types of issues. They're gone as parties. Uh, yeah. The only com- real meaningful com- uh, party in in the, the um, oh, in Barça Nacional or in East Malaysia, and even then we're seeing shifts in that happening in Sabah. And there was talk already that PUD is going to move over. Right. Uh, um, but they're going to have to have a new role. I mean, you know. One of these issues is that many of these states can't function uh, in being in opposition because they need federal funding and a good relationship with the federal government. Yeah, that's, that's quite a tension there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, um, the Barasan Nacional as a co- multi-ethnic is coalition gone. is gone. And yeah. it was, it's, it's, been, it's been dying since 2008. And I think, you know, the MCA you yeah. know, made such very strategic mistakes. Uh, they were supposed to represent Chinese Malaysians and they decided to represent China and Malaysia. <laughs> you know, and this is just, you know, this... Well, yeah. Not right. N- not good. Yeah. Well, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about before we uh, finish up, uh, just about outside forces or influences, and that is China and Malaysia's trajectory, Malaysia and China's trajectory. Well, I think there are three different uh, um, important you know, external influences during this campaign. The most important, as people talk about, is the China factor. It reinforced uh, this nationalist agenda uh, that... Rajiv is selling the country, mm. and these these projects really just didn't go down well. The Chinese government miscalculated tremendously in its relationship with uh, with Najib. You know, it felt, oh, we must work with the ruling party. Well, you know, the ruling party. If you work in a particular way with the ruling party, and you try to use your leverage in a nationalist way, which they did to try to get the best deal for China. You, you cannot expect a, a backlash. And I think this is something that China needs to understand about Southeast Asia, is that Southeast Asia don't really like a lot of what they're doing in the region, yeah, and right. there will be a backlash, and, mm. and Malaysia is just the first of some to come. Uh, the second thing I would say is that we saw um, important international forces from Singapore. Singapore was caught off guard. Um, and you have to keep in mind that Pakatan would not have won Johor without s- Singaporeans, Malaysians in Singapore coming back to vote. Uh, they have to be very cautious in how they handle Mahathir because right. I think Mahathir... Singapore does. Yes. Yeah. Ma- Singapore, you know, has has always seen itself as, uh, portrayed itself as the, you know, the better governed, the better place in the region. Um, I think Malaysia's elections will really 
fundamentally question that. Mm. Um, Malaysia's Malaysians have done more than have really sent a signal to the world, yes. uh, and I think uh, uh, Singapore has to realize that it's mm. it's pay attention because those same forces are going to come within its own country, and those same forces are are sending a signal that mm. you know your alliance with Najib is also part of the problem. Mm. Uh, you embrace Najib t to a higher extent. And then the third group, which people haven't talked enough about, is the Saudi and United Emirates influence and money that came in into Malaysia. Um, I think this is something that's going to have to be rethought and reevaluated because this has been feeding a lot of the Islamic conservat conservatism in the society. Right. Um, and I think uh, there will be a reconfiguration with the relationship with the Middle East. And is that, in is that money coming through in investment or is it funding civil society organizations or is it going to religious organizations? Or it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, there are a lot of important financial deals that came in yep. right before the election that had a lot of gravy. Um, <laughs> and a lot of that seemed to be filling into the election money, although it was a lot less than last time. Yeah. Uh, but I would say that um, my sense is that the level of influence of the Saudi government inside the uh, religious apparatus is particularly worrying. Mm. Um, and I think the Wahhabism, the Salafism, the kind of the intolerance that this is being um, permeated in, in these organizations needs to be addressed in some, in a, in a, with a dialogue and in a respectful manner in the society, but also one that, that neutralizes some of these external influences. Sure. Bridget, you've been very generous with your time. Before we wind up, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just thank you very much for listening and, and, uh, and congratulations to Malaysians for their new future. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bridget.